Hello and welcome to Providence and Work to Be Well as we talk today with some of our guests. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive Behavioral Health for Providence here in Oregon and Chief Clinical Officer of Work to Be Well. Here with me are the Defensive Line co-owners, Chris and Martha Thomas. They've joined with me today to talk about the new partnership and curriculum that we're going to develop with Work to Be Well. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your mental health or any other medical condition. Welcome. Welcome, Chris and Martha. It's such a pleasure to spend some time with you and learn about the Defensive Line Foundation. Tell me about yourselves and how the Defensive Line Foundation began. Martha, would you go ahead? <laughs> so... Um... We lost our daughter, Ella, to suicide um, over three years ago on January 23rd. Um, and we all went to a really dark place for quite some time. But uh, one of the things that we felt really strongly about was that we needed to turn our pain into purpose um, and have pretty much for the last three years tried to come up with a plan where we could um, impact people that were being underserved. Um, and so uh, we did that by starting the defensive line, um, a world where no person of color dies by suicide. Um, and that's our focus, our, our roadmap. But of course, we're open. We help anyone who um, needs help, any young person that needs help. Okay. Uh, that was great. And uh, my name is uh, Chris Thomas. Uh, I'm uh, Martha's uh, husband, and uh, we have a son, Solomon, as well. And uh, Martha did an excellent job of explaining sort of why we're here today. And thank you for having us. We live in a suburb outside of Dallas called Capel, Texas. And uh, we've been here about 15 years. And uh, when we had Ellen Solomon, we were, we moved and lived throughout the world, Chicago, Sydney, Australia, Stanford, Connecticut, and uh, Ohio, as well as in Dallas now. And um, we were exposed to a lot of different cultures, a lot of different opportunities. And um, when we lost Ella, um, we used those experiences to help us understand how do we help all different types of people, but in particular people of color, young people of color, primarily because the suicide rate has increased so much so amongst uh, the BIPOC community and obviously our daughter was a person of color and young and she also suffered through some uh, anxiety and depression as well as uh, some sexual assault so as martha mentioned uh, we wouldn't want anybody else to go through the pain uh, that we went through so we wanted to find a way to leverage solomon's platform him being a professional athlete in the nfl and with his different exposures and networks across there as well as uh, having gone to school in stanford california how do we leverage that to make a difference and to help get out resources and awareness and, and networking to help uh, help other people who are in need? Well, first of all, my heart aches for your loss. Um, that's I, that's a, an unimaginable, an unimaginable, uh, an unimaginable pain. I have a, a daughter and a son myself, and my daughter uh, attempted suicide a couple of years ago. Uh, mm. 
fortunately we were able to intervene and get her the help that she needed. And she's finished her freshman year in college, mm -hmm. but um, no parent should be there. And so very, very, very um, want to understand how, when you look at the intervention with young um, people, especially, and I agree with you, that is one of our fastest growing populations uh, of people who are uh, attempting including suicide or young people of color. What does the, how does the Defensive Line Foundation intervene? What are some of the things we do? Yeah, so one of the things, as Martha mentioned, is, you know, we, we do have a vision where no young person of color dies by suicide. And, you know, we're sort of thinking about how leaders of young people of color uh, the defense line is really the mental health community that empowers life-saving connections. Yeah. And we really think it's about connections because when people are in isolation, that's when they're at their uh, most desperate. And so part of our theory of change is to share our personal experiences, to teach mental health resiliency and communication, to build support networks for young people of color, but in particular for leaders of people of color, and as Martha said, this is for everybody, but our, our North Star is people of color because of the high incidence as well as, you know, us uh, touching us so personally. And so we want to help the coaches, the teachers, the clergymen, you know, uh, the business leaders, the people who can impact, you know, young people of color, whether they be in Jack and Jill or, 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 or boys and girls clubs or whatever, but to help support those networks and then uh, to build those networks, but then to support them with proactive tools. And that's where Providence and Work to Be Well comes in because of the vast amount of resources, uh, evidence-based uh, training and curriculum that you have. And so our goal, our mission and passion is to get into schools, get into the NCAA, yeah. to leverage some of the platforms that NFL has in working with organizations across this country to help get the word out that mental health and physical health is not either or, it's whole health. It's about put, doing both at the same time. You know, I was just gonna thank you for, for bringing in. How did Providence and the Defensive Line Foundation get introduced as partners? Besides the fact that I am a big football fan. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, through, uh, D Denise White, who has EAG Sports Management, um, and Mary Renouf, um, uh, that's the connect connector. Um, but Denise uh, pointed out, we, you know, told her what we were doing, and she said, "I want to introduce you to someone." Um, and and with you know people of color being so underserved in the mental health space, uh, it's an easy fit. Um, uh, we're so excited about it, but especially excited because on Work to Be Well, your your programming is motivated by kids. Like this is what they're saying that they need. Um, and we don't always know what kids need. But I do know that I'm a, a classroom teacher. I teach seventh grade and I spend a lot of time um, talking to kids about different different uh, concerns of theirs. And it is, it is always interesting that we get the least training. So we're mm -hmm. trying to change that. <laughs> Absolutely. See, and, and early on in the pandemic, I'm so glad you also mentioned being able to reach in through sports. 
because we know that sports is the language and the safe place for many, many, many students, and especially many, many students of color. Many mm-hmm. students of color are engaged in a variety of different, different sports. And early on, uh, probably about September in the pandemic, when school uh, in many parts of the country, school was not returning in person, we worked with a group of athletic trainers. And the athletic trainers really wanted to learn more about how they could help their students' mental health. So we worked with them and trained a, a very large group of athletic trainers in all of the work to be well curriculum. And we looked at that as a way to get in there and reach different populations. Uh, and and I wonder with the, the connection the Defensive Life Foundation has, where do you see Work to Be Well's curriculum fitting in with the sports community where we know our young people are? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. And I, I really think that the way that we can leverage Providence Work to Be Well and the defensive line is by piggybacking on some of the trusted organizations that you're currently working with, like NAMI, AFSP, you know, National Institute of Mental Health, you know, RAIN, all those organizations. And the great thing is you've got a good number of sports programs like the NFL, the NBA, the WNBA, who all want to make a difference in helping provide leverage their platform to provide some tools and resources to make a difference. And the other thing is uh, one, one of the passions Solomon has is going to high schools and teaching them about the importance of whole health and that it's okay to not be okay and to sort of treat mental health as you do dental health, where you're trying to brush your teeth every day. He wants people to practice mental health every day. And so he's gone to Palo Alto High School where, where he was with the Niners. You know, he spent a lot of time with them as well as their foundation. Martha and I worked with the NFL uh, to do a program in Miami with the Miami-Dade School. So we're trying to duplicate that across, you know, a variety of different states and, and areas of opportunity. Our first pilot is actually going to be June 15th, where um, we'll be working with the Capel Independent School District to provide, working with AFSP and Providence to provide, you know, that kind of training to their staff and their teachers. So between that, the NCAA, the other key organizations are trying to make a difference. We think we could, you know, make huge inroads, you know, year one all the way through, you know, however long it takes to get this to a point where it's no longer a pandemic. You know, it's interesting when you think about that 75% of all mental illness starts between the age of 14 and 24. That's mm-hmm. the population you're focused on. That's the population mm-hmm. you're caring about. And that becomes so incredibly relevant in these conversations. If we think about this in terms of physical health, and I appreciate the, the dental analogy, if we think about this in terms of physical health, think about if we knew that everybody who was going to have a heart attack would have their first symptoms between the age of 14 and 24. That would change everything we do in cardiac screening. Absolutely. And yet here we know full well that 75% of all mental illness presents between the age of 14 and 24, and we don't even screen for it routinely. No, and I mean, even even something like your your lesson on um, your curriculum on creating a for emotional first aid kit. It's mm-hmm. so clear and so simple, but yet people don't have it ready. And, and especially young people don't know that they need to have it ready. They don't know that take, what taking a deep breath will do for them because it's not in their wheelhouse yet. And if we don't teach it, if they don't hear it from someone, they're not going to know. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right, Martha. One of the things she did uh, was she introduced her children, her uh, students, to like meditation and how that was foreign to a lot of students. But the other great thing, like Providence Work to Be Well has, is the self care and mindfulness emotional first aid kit. I mean that that is just a phenomenal tool that we got to find a way to let folks know that these things are available. And whether you do it through, you know, um, Zoom or through training of the classrooms and then filter it down and then also connect with the parents in the community, there's got to be a way we have this to be a normal part of our, you know, vocabulary where it's not the exception when we talk about it because, it's, you know, I, I heard a really good presentation of the day and the, the speaker mentioned that everybody has mental health. It was Dr. Rita, Rita, Rita Walker. Everybody has mental health and you've got to understand that. And until we sort of realize that and then build in the curriculum from middle school all the way through college, you know, we're going to find ourselves, you know, asking the question, why are we still working these archaic I know processes when we know better. You know, we know we should be talking about. It. We know we should be giving them the tools and the exposure, the training, and all those uh, those tools. And that that's a it's such a good point because you know when I think about how our educators are trained, because educators spend more time with students than than candidly most of their parents do, right? Mm -hmm. How are educators trained in delivering mental health curriculum? Is that something they get trained on? Is that something that's easy to do? I think we're taking great steps in my district. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's that common. I'm in Texas, we're required to do a suicide prevention training, but that can be so as much as, you know, reading off a checklist. Um, so it's one step, but it's not enough. You know, like be, because teachers really don't know how to take things seriously. If a student says certain words or even the idea that you can call uh, the um, suicide prevention hotline mm -hmm. for help for someone else, you don't have to be the person, you know, just just there's so many things out there that people aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. um, and so many tools that I we're hoping that us and you know so many organizations across the country can help uh, lead these great resources that Providence and Work to Be Well have you know out in the in the forefront. One of the things I'll, I'll add on to that is Martha put it hit the nail on the head. Each state seems to have a different approach. And one of the things that um, we've been blessed with you know, through our tragedy of losing Ella, we were fortunately, you know, uh, exposed to AFSP and now Providence and Work to Be Well, two trusted, you know, prestigious organizations that want to make a difference. And I am, I also have been able to sit on the national board. And one of the things that we're working on is the parity, mental health parity law, where, you know, mental health is treated the same as physical health, but part of that, law, that you know, uh, legislation is also trying to find a way to, to create national standards and how we teach mental health and suicide prevention. And once we get that in place, I mean, we can become as good at, at that as we are in some of the others, you know, you know so subjects like STEM and et cetera. So the, the, first we got to, you know, make sure we have the legislation, then the funding, then the awareness, and then it will spread. 
Well, and it's interesting that you talk about talking about suicide prevention. People are very scared. And when I first got into to the work with Work to Be Well, oh, four years ago, we were still and still are dealing today with schools that are afraid that if we talk about suicide, we will cause people to complete suicide. And, and so they're very afraid of this curriculum. In your experience, um, in, in learning what you've learned and working with ASFP, why is talking about suicide and talking about suicide prevention so important? I'll take a stab at it. The first piece is it, you have to reduce the stigma. Uh, and you, you need to understand that everybody's going through some type of mental issue or mental health uh, opportunity each day. You know, we just can't always be happy. I mean, to me, a good day is you laugh, you cry, you learn something new. And, and that's just a part of the whole mental health cycle. And part of being whole and being, and being you know, true to ourselves is making sure that we're connected. And you know, connectivity is making sure that we, you know, break down our barriers. We we talk to each other. We share each other's joys, you know our sorrows, you know our needs, and that helps create this relationship, this trust, where we then know each other. And we're not at this point where we're always at loggerheads. We're always you no know, button heads. So, I mean, to me, the whole mental health approach is just breaking down those barriers, driving those connections, reducing that stigma, driving the behaviors of togetherness and in partnerships. And that's just the key piece to me uh, in, 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 in addressing this and just making sure that we talk about it because not talking about it doesn't do any good. And also listening, you know, learning how, okay, someone's talking about it. Can we actually listen to what they're saying? Because that's a huge problem for many of us in this country. So that, that's part of the connection, but especially when someone's struggling, not to give them advice, but to actually listen and let them know that you're there for them is key. <laughs> I think that's so important because we've got to, and this goes back to the development of the Work to Be Well curriculum. We listen to young people's voices and brought young people's voices uh, into how we talk about suicide, how we talk about self-care, how we talk about depression and anxiety and have our young people, um, you know, really inform how they're going to hear that, how they're going to receive that information. When we look at how our curriculum focuses on young people's, uh, young people of color's mental health, how best do you see through the work you're doing with Defensive Line Foundation can we begin to to strengthen that voice and bring that voice more more into focus? I would say part of it is making sure that we have the right uh, messages as well as the right images out there for people of color. Too often we, we turn on the news and we see nothing but negativity. We don't see ourselves in positive role models. We all also need to make sure that we have the right medical staff and resources available so people understand that therapy is not a, not, not, a, not a negative, dirty word, and that we just can't pray some of these issues away. But I really think, you know, some of it has to do with breaking down some of the systemic uh, injustice and racial issues that exist within this country, where we see some of the, we see 
everybody in positive, not everybody, we see people in positive you know, situations, whether it's being doctors, being lawyers, whether it's, you know, making sure that they understand that there are so many positive things going on within the within our organization, our community, and reemphasizing those versus the negative things that we see, as well as reduce and limit some of the violence that we're seeing against the black community. Those are key elements, I think, in helping this. You know, I did a Talk to Be Well episode a couple of weeks ago with uh, a young black uh, a young black woman from Maryland and um, a young man from the Dominican Republic, actually from Los Angeles. And we were talking about the impact of racial trauma and mental health and that intersection in, in racial trauma and mental health. And and it was it was just heartbreaking to mm-hmm. hear the the conversation about the impact of racial trauma and mental health and how in in Maryland, especially the first intervention, generally speaking, is law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So imagine if you're in a suicidal crisis and you're a young black person and the person who's coming to assist you is law enforcement. The, mm-hmm. the interface in there was very, um, very, very powerful. It's a conversation mm-hmm. we committed to continuing, but I think especially for young people of color, we've got to destigmatize the idea that mental health and and that entire world go together in some respect because they don't. Right. Mental health is about, you know, a medical condition. How do we engage um, therapists of color? How do we train our therapists of color yes. so that yes. you're seeing somebody in therapy who looks like you? That's yes. important. Absolutely. And also it's important to make sure the police are able to do what they do best. And they're not mental health experts, and we need to remove them, decouple them from trying to manage mental health issues. There are too many Buffalo examples where they've been called in on a mental health issue, and they're just not equipped to do that. You, you know, all 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 situations aren't aren't solved by a gun, and so we got to find a way to you know to, to to address that and get the right resources in the local communities so that we can treat the people properly and give them the the resources they need. Well, and it's so powerful that your son Solomon is speaking up for mental health and speaking to young people at at high schools and things like that. How else is he using his platform uh, to address mental health? Well, he's done uh, so much speaking, Um, but he also, uh, he's new in Las Vegas. so we all went to the, uh, there was an AFS, AFSB chapter walk. We went to that. Um, he did a community talk a few weeks ago. Um, so he's, he's getting out there when he was in San Francisco. He went to the high schools, uh, some of the high schools in the area, um, and also supported, uh, helped support the Niners in uh, their foster their uh, foster, I can't remember what they call it. Sorry, they support foster uh, students when oh. they graduate. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so um, he, he puts his money where his mouth is. <laughs> you know, the other thing he did is um, he's worked with ESPN and NFL Network, um, the Players Tribune, uh, as well as now he's working with Providence as, as well as AFSP and you know, he, he's uh, helped you know, fund and, and 
uh, start the defensive line as well, which, as Martha said, he's he's willing to put his money and time where his mouth is. But you know, I think the other key piece is he's out there talking about mental health, whether it's you know attending you know a, a Vegas uh, mental health summit that took place a couple weeks ago, uh, to one that's going to be showing up on the Carson Daily Show, the Today Show here, uh, as as well as he pl- plans to make commitments to come on the Providence Work to Be Well uh, platforms as well. So. Uh, he knows it needs to be talked about on a regular basis. He's also recruiting other players uh, within the NFL to mm-hmm. play a role, you know, whether it's you know, through their foundation uh, and doing work there or just you know, talking uh, via their website. Just uh, keep the communication going so that it's not seen as a one-off, uh, atypical approach. He's, a, he's also uh, willing to be vulnerable. And as he's grown in this journey of losing Ella and having his own mental health struggles, um, he's willing to talk about him. And, you know, he says it's the, the new masculine is to be vulnerable. So he's absolutely right about that. Uh, you know, some of my, some of my favorite athletes have talked about their own mental health struggles. Of course, my, my favorite line still goes back to Marshawn Lynch, Chicago mm. mentals. Absolutely. Yeah. That's true. That is so true. But you know, when you have more people talk about it, whether it's him or Kevin Love or Carla McBride from WNBA, there's just so many people. Then it, 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 you know, then it goes to some of the actors and actors talking about like Courtney Vance and just a variety of people. It's not becoming, it's sort of helping reduce the stigma is having the conversation. And as Martha said, being vulnerable and sharing, you know, you know, when I felt this way, here's what, here's, here's an avenue I took to try to improve. And sometimes listening doesn't mean you have to give a solution. And I know that's, that probably goes to a lot of males like myself who try to fix everything, but just sometimes just listen, you know? <laughs> well, I know that uh, many of the students on the National Student Advisory Council would love to uh, host Solomon on Talk To Be Well anytime he wants to come and talk. Uh, we would love to hear uh, hear him tell his story and really, I think, find a way to lift up and, and normalize conversations about mm-hmm. mental health because that's so important. And it's especially important for people to see parents like you being willing to talk about your own story, what that was like in your family. I don't know what it was like when, when your kids were growing up, was mental health something that you talked about a lot? Was this a conversation around the dinner table? Or or now is it something that you're saying, we need to have this conversation at the dinner table? We definitely need to have the conversation at the dinner table. Um, we didn't talk about it enough by any means. Um, we've always been open to therapy, but in general, we didn't, you know, we probably prescribed a lot to the you'll be okay. You'll get through it, you know, versus what happened at school, you know, like how are these things affecting your, your academic performance? Do you know why, you know, it's because you don't feel safe or you don't feel, you know. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good, I mean, I always thought we always had a very healthy dialogue when it came to spirituality. Yeah. uh, But we did not, take it to the next level and talk about their mental frame of mind. And we both are very competitive. We both you know, uh, performed athletics in high school and college. And 
I, I, you know, as I hear Solomon talk about some of the things that happened that he was going through when he was in high school, I scratched my head thinking, I didn't know that. I didn't know he was having anxiety, you know, about before performance. And then and I wish that I had taken it to the next level. My hope now is that when he has kids, you know, have, has our grandchildren, whenever he decides to go down that path, you know, years from now, but he, he has that conversation with his children and then they have it with theirs. And, but it's 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 good now that we're we're having the discussion because we are starting to change people's minds in the Gen Z and millennial, you know, whole era. I, I would agree with you. Um, I worked a couple of years ago with folks from uh, Oregon State University in the Damn Worth It program, and and I think the NCAA has a very unique platform because whether you're an athlete or not, the NCAA through their infrastructure touches nearly every college in the country. And through that infrastructure, they have the ability to infuse the conversation about mental health and to make sure our young people who are in that 18 to 24 year old, when you're just leaving your home and you're going into that unfamiliar college space for the first time, that, especially now during a pandemic, is a very disruptive experience. Mm -hmm. And that's where we know some of our young people are at the most vulnerable. So definitely, I think Providence and the Defensive Line Foundation need to Need to have some conversations with the NCAA, don't we? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. You know, they've got a far reach between Division One, the Division Three. Yeah. Uh, there's just so much that could be done there with that great organization. I agree. So, how do people get involved in supporting this partnership? You know, I, I would say um, go visit the defenseline.org. Uh, you'll see where we're, we're we're building programs and events. Uh, where we're also, uh, if you want to donate time or resources, uh, funding, uh, that's available. You know, it help us work with Providence and the AFSPs of the world to really go out there and make a difference and to talk about putting together pilot programs and training programs for schools to go out and work and do research with the folks like the NCAA. And, 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 and so just to make a difference and get this message out. So that's, I would say, the key piece. But, you know, also... Uh, aside from support the defensive line, support your local, you know, Providence, you know, uh, religious-based organizations, uh, but also the AFSPs, the NAMIs of the world. I mean, they all do great work, and there's always a local support uh, organization in your area because, unfortunately, suicide ha impacts so many people. 40 seconds, somebody dies by suicide every 40 seconds globally, so there's a lot of great local support groups aside from Providence and the defensive line, but support us all. That'd be great. Well, awesome. Thank you so very, very much. I know for me, I was on my NAMI walk last week. Uh, last weekend we had our NAMI walk and uh, we, we definitely uh, went out there. I'm a big fan of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, I want to thank you, Chris and Martha, for joining me today. Are there any final thoughts you have before we wrap up? We're just so excited for this partnership and are looking forward to all of our work that we'll do together. So thank you so much. Amen. Thank you very much. Well, thank you both for joining me today. And to everybody for listening in, if you are looking for help with your mental health, if you are looking for help for your family members or for anyone that you care about, or if you have any other medical questions, please check out providence.org. And for parents, teachers, and students, please check out 
our free resources and curriculum at worktobewell.org. That's work the number two bewell.org. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson. Have a really great day. Thank you.